Lord, we do pray that you would be our vision and our wisdom, that you would use what you say to us in the Bible to transform us. We pray this in your name. Amen. This last week at our church, we had vacation Bible school here, and it was just awesome. We had almost 300 kids here who were here all week to have fun and hear about Jesus. Over 60 of those kids had never been to our church before, 125 volunteers, and our children's ministry team did a great job, and I think we should just thank them for that. Three of those 300 kids were mine, and they loved it. In fact, one night uh, last week, my five-year-old son and three-year-old daughter were in the backyard playing, and my son was singing one of the songs that he learned in vacation Bible school. And this made me really happy because Jackson hasn't shown a lot of interest in spiritual things, so this represented progress. But about five minutes later, I heard my three-year-old daughter crying, so I went to the backyard, and I said, what happened? And she pointed at my son and said, he hit me. And I looked at him, and I said, why'd you do that? And he said, she interrupted my Jesus song. (laughs) So not as much progress as I thought. That incident, I think, is a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about in the text that we just read. As human beings, we have this capacity to act good, to look good on the outside, but inside we have all this gunk. Still think judgmental thoughts or harbor lustful fantasies or privately think that we're better than other people. And under the right circumstances, like someone interrupting our Jesus song, it just all comes out. But in the passage we read today, Jesus makes this astonishing claim that he can make us authentically good people from the inside out. Not phony good on the outside, but good on the inside, in our heart. And that is an attractive offer, at least to me, because I think a lot of us, deep down, genuinely want to be good people, be good people, not just act good. None of us want to be consumed with anger or feel the pressures of lust or have shattered relationships because of our pride. That's a prison, and we know it. But we don't know how to get out of that prison. And the problem with Christianity, as it's sometimes practiced, is is that we don't really strive to be good people. We just spend all of our time trying to act good by obeying or trying to obey a bunch of rules and laws. You know, don't drink, don't get angry, and if it feels fun, it's got to be wrong, so don't even think about doing it, because that'll make the baby Jesus cry, right? Laws, rules, ought, should, try harder, you're not working hard enough. But none of that changes our heart. In fact, it probably makes it worse. Because rules just make us want to rebel. Again, every parent knows this. As a parent, I have found myself saying things I never thought I would say. Don't put the spaghetti noodle up your brother's nose. Words I never thought I would put together in a sentence, right? Don't put the spaghetti noodle up your brother's nose. And what do they do when I say that? They put the spaghetti noodle up their brother's nose. Tell them they can't, and they will. And we do the same thing, don't we? Speed limit, 60 miles an hour. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I'll just go 63 miles an hour, see if I get a ticket for that, right? Can I have an amen? Anyone done that? (laughs) 
Forgive your enemies, but they don't deserve it. Do not commit adultery, but I'm so in love. Rules on their own will never make us good. All of that rule falling, all that adds up to is just sin management. Just trying to kind of manage our sin. And unfortunately, you like that. Yeah, I wish I'd come up with it. Dallas Willard did, but unfortunately, I think that's sometimes what we think Christianity is, sin management. But Jesus offers us way more than sin management. He promises that he can transform us inside out to be authentically, naturally good people. We can live the eternal kind of life now, in this life. Up there can come down here in our hearts. And that's what Jesus is on about in the passage we read. He says, don't think I've come to get rid of the law. The law is good. It's just not enough. He says, I've come to fulfill it, to complete it, to help it accomplish what it was meant to accomplish, which is the transformation of us. And then he goes through a series of examples where he said, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And he he contrasts the difference between being simply obeying a rule and being a transformed person. And most of the examples he uses involve our two favorite sins, sex and violence. And he says, you have heard it said, do not kill anybody. But I say to you, if you even get mad at someone and call them a name, well, then you're not living the eternal kind of life. Maybe you've obeyed the rule outwardly, but inside you still got all this gunk. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, even if you harbor a lustful fantasy, that is a prison. That is a hell that you'll be in. It'll drive you crazy. And it demeans the other person because you're just taking one part of them and not all of them. And you're not living the abundant life. You're not having the joy you could otherwise have because you're consumed with anger or lust or pride or whatever it is. Now, I want to be clear about what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus is not saying that we can't get angry. Anger is natural. Even Jesus got angry. The question is, what do we do with it? Do you use your anger to spur you on for, to seek creative reconciliation Or do we nurse it, indulge it, hang on to it? In the Greek, Jesus uses the verb tense that signifies ongoing action. And the word he uses for anger is the same word from which we get our English word, orgy. Jesus is saying, don't have an anger orgy. Don't indulge it, but resolve it quickly. Seek reconciliation. And it's the same with lust. Jesus is not saying that there's something wrong with being attracted to the opposite sex. That is a God-given desire. And sex within marriage is God's good gift to us. And again, in the Greek, it's helpful. Jesus says in Greek, if you are looking in order to lust, if you are willfully indulging a fantasy, well, that's not life at its best. That is not eternal life. What Jesus is not doing in this passage is just giving us a lot more rules, a lot harder rules, right? Oh, great. Now I can't even think about it. That's not what he's offering. What he's offering is a changed heart, a way to become people who just naturally do good things, just like an apple tree naturally produces apples. You don't have to tell it to make an apple, right? It just makes an apple. That's what they do. In the same way, we can become people who just naturally do good. How, you might ask or should. A couple of things. I'm going to talk more about this in a few weeks, but let me mention a couple of things here. First, to be transformed people, we need to fully receive God's love and blessings. It is very important to realize that this section of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives some commands, 
is immediately preceded by the Beatitudes, the blessings that we talked about last week, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, etc. In other words, Jesus blesses before he commands. He loves us before he asks us to obey. Grace always precedes law. Because it's his grace and love that transform us, not rules. The writer Brennan Manning talks about his life as a severe alcoholic and At one point, he ended up living on the streets, and a friend of his would find him every week, come down, sit on the street corner with him, and say, I just want you to know, I love you. I'm your friend. This is not God's best for you. God has more for you than this. Can I help you find it? Now, the friend told Brendan Manning the truth. This is sin. This is not good for you. But he also said, I'm not going to give up on you. And it was his friend's love that helped transform him. Fully receive God's love. When you're in worship, think about these words. Connect to the words of the song. Meditate on God's love on your own. Remind yourself of it. Because when we really receive God's love and blessing, that changes us. Second thing, second way we become transformed people is to go to Jesus for the right advice on how to live life. You know, our bookstores are just stacked full with self-help books how to win friends, how to succeed in life. A few years back, there was a book called Men Are From Mars, Women From Venus, about how men and women could communicate better together. I never read it, but I had sections of it read to me out loud. (laughs) All kinds of books designed to help us be better people. But Jesus lived the best life anyone ever lived. And he's given us all kinds of helpful tips on how we can live the eternal life now. And we need to go to him first for advice. Again, through worship where we hear his word proclaimed and then in prayer and and in scripture. Where do we go for advice about how to spend our money? To Jesus or a financial planner? Where do we go for advice on relationships? To Jesus or Dr. Phil? And it's not that those other things can't be helpful. They can But to be really transformed from the inside out, we need to go to Jesus. Third way to be transformed. Follow the grand positive. And I've talked about this before. The way we become good is not by concentrating on what we don't do. Right? I will not lust. I will not be angry. Right? That does not work. Because then all you're thinking about is the lust or the anger. Besides, as I just said, as human beings, we will find a way around every rule. Right? I, I had a college student who struggled a lot with lustful thoughts, and he would always say, the way I figure it, Jesus says it's not the first look at a woman that's the problem, it's the second look. So I just make the first look as long as it needs to be. <laughs> no, not so helpful. Right? Instead of focusing on what we don't do, follow the grand positive, the positive thing we do instead. Instead of saying, I will not lust at that person, pray for that person. You know, Lord, thank you. You made her so beautiful. Help her become everything she's meant to be. Lord, bless her, Father. That'll kill it. (laughs) Right? You cannot lust and pray. You cannot be angry and pray at the same time. Dallas Willard says, if I want to fly to New York, it does me no good to concentrate on not going to Atlanta. Right? Nobody walks up to a ticket counter in the airport and says, I just want you to know I am not going to Atlanta. I am trying really hard not to go to Atlanta. 
right? That still doesn't get you to New York, which is the goal. And yet that's how we deal with our sin, right? I will not get angry at that person even though he's such a jerk and I can't believe that he blah, 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 right? Instead, Jesus says, use the energy of your anger to spur you on to seek reconciliation. Go to New York instead. The goal is not to avoid some sin. The goal is to become a transformed person. So aim for that, not sin management. As Christians, we are not defined by, we are not defined by what we don't do. We don't drink. We don't cuss. We don't have sex because that could lead to dancing, right? We, we, we are defined by the positive things we do instead. Look at those Christians, how they seek reconciliation. Look at those Christians, how they seek whole relationships. We're defined by the positive things we do instead. Receive God's love. Turn to Jesus. Follow the grand positive. Next, rely on his Holy Spirit. Rely on His Holy Spirit. If we know Jesus, His Spirit lives inside of us and gives us the power to become authentically good people. Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit's just going to overtake us and turn us into kind of zombies, right, and overwhelm us and force us to be good or take away every temptation, which is just another word for choice, because then we wouldn't be humans, we would be puppets. So the Spirit is more subtle. His power comes in those nudgings you get that say, do this or... Avoid that. Or by the way, he calls certain scriptures to mind. Or it comes in the ways that over time our desires begin to shift. So that even if we still repeat certain sins or bad habits, as time goes on, we want more and more to break those sins and bad habits. And even if we don't want to be good in a certain arena, over time the Holy Spirit can help us want to want to be good. And that's the first step. Receive God's love. Turn to Jesus Follow the grand positive, rely on the Holy Spirit, and finally, engage in little steps of discipline to train a new heart. In each of these examples, Jesus gives a little step of discipline, a practical thing that we can do that trains our new heart. Now, I know, you know, discipline isn't a very fun-sounding word. It sounds disciplinish, hard. But as I've said before, discipline is liberating. And every athlete knows this. It's through practice, through following the coach's discipline, the athlete is free to jump higher or, or run faster, do things that, that, that he or she never thought was possible. I was amazed at the baseball game, just watching how fast they throw the ball. I love watching that, you know, 90 miles an hour. I mean, they got there through discipline. Discipline is liberating. And it's the same in our spiritual lives. We need little steps of discipline to train our new heart. And I think that's what Jesus means when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's not saying that we should go blind ourselves. It is obvious hyperbole to make a point. Besides, we could blind ourselves and still think angry thoughts or lustful thoughts, right? It doesn't change the heart. What Jesus is saying is there's nothing more important than being a transformed person. So don't let anything get in the way of that. And one way we do that is through little steps of discipline. Now, some of you may be saying right now, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You just said, preacher boy, that it's not rules that make us good. That's right. We don't become good through rules. I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about training exercises we willingly undertake because we want to live the eternal kind of life now, 
The motivation is different. I spent the first half of my Christian life thinking the discipline was just boring, legalistic, no fun, drudgery, avoiding it at all costs. But over time, the Holy Spirit has given me a genuine desire to be an authentically good person from the inside out. So now I willingly and joyfully engage in all kinds of disciplines. From spending time in prayer and scripture every day to giving more and more of my money away to seeking reconciliation instead of nursing a grudge. And I'm not doing those things to get looked at or impress anyone else. Nobody even knows most of the disciplines I do. I do them because the Holy Spirit over time, over time, has given me a desire to be a good person, authentically good person. And these disciplines help me get there and it gives me joy to do them. It takes both the Holy Spirit's power and our cooperation with that power through discipline to transform us. It's just like a rowboat. If you only have one oar, what happens? You go around and around. If all we do in our spiritual lives is just sit around and wait for the Holy Spirit to zap us and make us good, poof, you're good, mate. Wait. Wow, that's cool, right? If all we do is wait for that, we will go around and around. Likewise, if all we do is try harder, work harder, and on our own, we'll go around and around and fail and get frustrated. It takes both the Holy Spirit's power and our cooperation with it through discipline to transform us. And I'll talk more about what that discipline may look like in a couple of weeks. There's a man I know very well who for years had a a real anger problem. He would explode at his family. He wouldn't deal with it correctly. He'd explode at his friends, all kinds of things. I mean, he'd nurse a grudge. And he could weave a tapestry of profanity that was an art form, really, for him. It was just amazing, right? I remember once being at his house for dinner and his three-year-old son was refusing to eat lasagna. The son kept saying, I don't like dirty noodles, right, because of the sauce, right? Get the sauce off. And I remember this man turning purple with rage, saying, I am not a noodle cleaner, right? Well, he recognized that this anger thing was poisoning his life, giving him all kinds of stress. It was wrecking his relationships. And along the way, he got hooked up with a great church, ended up in a Bible study with the pastor, which I know probably sounds awful to most of you, but he liked it, and that's the point. He started to engage with God at a heart level in worship and really experience God's love and God's blessing. And then he learned some creative ways, little disciplines to handle his anger, not suppress it, but address it, and how to resolve conflict in healthy ways. And he followed those little steps of discipline and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Through those things, he is dramatically different. It is night and day. I mean, he's calmer. He addresses conflict in healthy ways. Hasn't turned purple in years. He is being transformed from the inside out. It's not that he's just suppressing anger. He's just a different person. Talked with another man this week about how through the Holy Spirit's nudging him, he spent a long time, a bunch of time in prayer, and finally managed to fully forgive his ex-wife. He said it was a physical experience for him. He physically felt lighter. And he said, what do you know? This Holy Spirit stuff really works. It does. And that's the good news. Because if all Christianity is is fire insurance, you know, keep us out of hell, and then give us a heap and help and the rules that, you know, we can do sin management with, well, and who needs that? Right? I mean, nuts to that. But if Jesus loves us so much that he died to pay the penalty for our sins so we could be reconciled to God, and if he gives us the power to become genuinely different people, well, then that is really good news. Because we all want to be free from all of the brokenness that ensnares our life. 
We all long for the eternal kind of life now. Some, friend of, some friends of ours have a little three-year-old girl, and, and you know how when toddlers get upset, they can't always control their emotions, they can't calm themselves down because they don't have the emotional skills to do that yet? Well, at one point, this little girl was just getting more and more upset about something, just spinning out of control. And her mom kept trying to calm her down, kept saying, you know, relax, calm down. Finally, the little girl just started screaming at the top of her lungs, I can't, I can't get nice by myself. It's a profound statement, isn't it? I can't get nice by myself. So what the mother did was pick the little girl up and just started to calm her down. We cannot get nice by ourselves. But if we yield ourselves to Jesus, we can get better than nice. We can become good. Not phony good, but really good from the inside out. 500 years before Jesus, God made a promise to us in the book of Jeremiah that he would make a new covenant with his people. Not like the old covenant, which was about rules and laws that they ultimately couldn't follow, but a new covenant. God says, this is the new covenant I will make. I will put my law on their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Jesus is God's way of making good on that promise. And the good news is that through him, we can become the kind of people we've always longed to be. Good from the inside out. Lord Jesus, we ask that through the power of your spirit, you make it so. And we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.